Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. Wow, don't you look beautiful. Well, uh, uh, wow, I'm speechless. <laughs> Really <laughs> remarkably extra super beautiful this morning. Oh, you're so sweet. I, I definitely needed to hear that. Thank Did you. Did I tell you that I'm having trouble with my vision? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Good, morning. Good morning, Blister. Good morning, Stewie. <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, and good middle of the night to everybody else. Welcome. Hey, I got another one of those... Um, I thought you guys were married. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. We're so lovey. Right? You talk about your boyfriend all the time on the podcast. So people don't, all the time, all, but, people but, don't all listen to the podcast. You know, people sometimes uh, only look at the little bites, sound bites. <laughs> well, you know what? We are married except for the sex part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're my work husband. For yes, sure. Totally. <laughs> I oh my God. So how was your week? List. How was your week? Um, you know, my week is fine. Still getting settled into my place. I had that birth I talked to you guys about. Oh, yesterday I went to, again, I just love this about small town, little um, uh, theater that's a few blocks away and saw um, a dance show and it was sold out and they said, come. Um, it's Martha Graham, who's a very famous choreographer from um I think she started in like the 30s but um 100 years they were celebrating so 20s really um and it was beautiful and i i ended up being able to get one ticket in the very front in the corner and it was i could i could see their sweat that's how close i was it was amazing so i'm um i'm having a good time just being a single person walking around the world i am a huge that single person thing just didn't go past my head, but I'm going to move on. <laughs> I, I am a huge uh, fan of Martha Graham. Uh -huh. I actually have, when I was in my art buying days back in the late 80s, early 90s, when I actually had made a lot of money, <laughs> I bought a Andy Warhol um, print of Martha Graham in one uh -huh. of her little dances. It's called Lamentation. I don't know if they did that dance. They did not do that one. Mm-mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's center stage in my living room uh, next to my piano. And it's just something I've had since for 30 some years now. And it, I just love looking at it. And I love the fact that I actually have a place to put it now. Right. I feel that one. I yeah, feel that. It's storage for a while because I when I lived in a small apartment because it's a big painting. So it's kind of fun. To I have it. I have your vagina in my bathroom. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. Oh, you gave me a, a picture while I was visiting him. It's a beautiful print of a of a yoni. You can't even really tell. It's very artistic. But he thought it was a little much for his place. And I was like, I'd love it. So it's in my bathroom. Yeah, That's it was a little much for my place. Um, so listen, I had a I had a fairly busy week. I might have mentioned because we recorded late. You did. That I was on the uh, counter narrative with Christy Lee. Mm -hmm. And we'll put the link to that up on the show notes. That's with the American Media Periscope. Uh, that's a news network. They're on uh, on the internet, and uh, we talked a lot, a lot of interesting stuff. So I wanted to make sure people. 
go to that. So click on the link for that. And then this week, I actually just got back yesterday. We were recording a day late because I was in Phoenix. I got flown down there by Turning Point USA uh, to be on the Spillover podcast with Alex Clark. And we spent over two hours, like two hours and 20 minutes just talking away. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect. She was great. It was fun. Uh, it will probably be coming out in early November, and I'll make sure to point that out. But it's just great for me. I think it's a different audience that I normally get to speak to. And she had a whole bunch of listener questions lined up. And it was at the last half, we were just going through questions and answering. And it was just a fantastic thing. And I hope it, you know, I hope it blows up because things definitely need to change. Um I want to also have a couple of things from uh, follow up from previous podcasts. You know, we talked about the uh, statistics at certain hospitals and we talked about Brigham and Women's Hospital being rated number one. And we talked about their, you know, their VBAC success rate of 20.6% and their uh, breastfeeding rate of 44% being great. And then you pointed out the farm statistics last time that they have a C-section rate of 1.7% compared to 26% at Brigham for first-time moms. And this is overall at the farm. And a uh, successful VBAC rate of 96.8%. Uh, they had zero maternal deaths in, uh, I think it's like 40 years of stats or something like that. And they had, and somebody asked a question about, well, you know, how many babies were transferred, stuff like that. And they did have one neonatal death related to birth. Uh, in 40 years, which is essentially zero. Which so. is really incredible because I've been told that not having anything to do with anyone's, um, you know, fault, if you attend about 600 births, you'll probably have a loss in there. So the fact that they had one in 40 years is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Statistically, that would be, that would be about right. Um, then I got a, I got a text message from Ralph's now, we don't have a Ralph's in um, Penab, Utah, where I'm at. But it says, Stuart, it's addressed to me for Ralph's. That's a grocery store for people that don't live in the Southwest. But um, It's time for your flu shot. No, it's time to get your R RSV shot. Oh. Schedule your RSV vaccine. Each year, tens of thousands of older adults. We are in that camp now. I am. You're not yet. Uh, are hospitalized for RSV, but now there's a new RSV vaccine that can help prevent these hospitalizations. Do your part by scheduling. So um, do we really know that it's preventing hospitalizations or is that just another uh, statement? Because it's a relatively new vaccine. It's been, it's been approved for older people. Now it's approved for pregnant women, but they haven't studied it long enough to know that it's going to prevent these. So they just make these statements so everybody listening, whenever you see this sort of stuff, you've got to know it's propaganda. And once you know it's propaganda, you can never unsee it. Now, you may want to get the RSV vaccine for whatever reason you you know, you know want to do that, but don't believe the, the rhetoric. Get it because you've done a deep dive into it and the benefits of it outweigh the risks in your mind. Okay? Or you listen to Stu's deep dive. Yes. So what's interesting also is remember that... Um, uh, ACOG uh, had a post just recently that said um, on September 26th on Instagram, they said, we recommend an updated 2023-2024 COVID-19 vaccine for pregnant and lactating adults. 
So again, it's not women, it's adults. But what's ironic about that is that on the same feed of Instagram, uh, ACOG's Instagram posts, they have something that says, less than half of U.S. women entering pregnancy have good heart health. Less than half? Yeah, that's what they're saying. Uh But I find it ironic that they think that it's bad that less than half of women entering pregnancy have good heart health, which means more than 50% have bad heart health is another way to say it. And they're recommending the COVID-19 vaccine for pregnant women, which we know causes heart problems. I don't think they see the irony in uh, what they're saying. No, of course they don't. Of course, they're not they connecting the dots. Hey, you know what I forgot to mention when I connect when I talked about this my week is that we launched the Bridge Midwives Project. I saw that, which makes me giddy. I'm I'm so excited about moving forward with this project. So, I'm I'm very proud of you and uh, and 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 that and also. Didn't shouldn't by now that this when this podcast released, shouldn't your podcast with Lindsay have come out? I sure hope so. so. (laughs) Our our bonus episode. So hopefully you guys all enjoyed listening to that and um, and doing it at home podcast, um, which is another amazing birth podcast is going to um, mentor me in being able to release my own podcast, because even though. it seems like I know what we're doing. We don't do any of the behind the scenes stuff. We just show up and record and we're the personalities, but we don't know like the technical part of like putting things up on the apps or any of that stuff. So they're going to help me figure that out because um, the Bridge Midwives Project is a nonprofit organization. Um, it has nothing to do with capitalism. It's all about a heart project and doing something that feels really important. So um, if you don't know about it, go and check out bridgemidwives.com on Instagram or um, on, um, sorry, .com would be the website and then the Bridge Midwives on Instagram. And um, you can find out more about our programs and who's behind this. And we will be launching um, circles soon, which will be like peer review, but better for people who practice traditionally and want to exchange information and have a safe and supportive group. So do you think if you, this thing takes off as you hope it will, that someday you'll be like a 501c3? We are situation? a 501c3. Oh, you and, are already? And all, yep. Yeah, and all um, donations are tax deductible. Okay. You should have said that because that's, that's important. So if people want to donate to this, where would they mm-hmm. go? Um, they, at the top of my link tree on my Instagram, they can go to the website and they're also on the Instagram page. So thanks so much. And we'll put something in the show notes too, just to make it easy for y'all. Well, before we bring our guest on today, uh, and you can yeah. tell us a little bit about her, I just want to say one more thing. Luckily that you and I are not podcasting in Canada. Oh, why because is that? I heard about this, but, uh, uh, the lovely prime minister there, Trudeau is, a. Uh, about to license podcasts in Canada, which is just another way of censoring podcasts in Canada. So podcasters in Canada will not be free to speak their mind unless the government approves of what they're saying. This is a frightening uh, step forward in the tyranny that's going, that's taking over the world a little bit. So we are in the United States fighting against our own government right now as a last bastion for freedom. Uh, of speech at least 
uh, I just wanted to put that out there so people can get out of Canada. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We have a guest today. And why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about her? Because I was busy yesterday, so I didn't really get involved in this too much. I'd like to hear myself what's going on with our podcast today. Okay, great. Well, um, Anna's going to say her own last name because it's not here. Um, And it's so funny. We were looking for her name, looking for her name. And we're like, maybe she's like Prince. She's just Anna. So um, I've been following Anna for a long time as the spiritual midwife because I almost wanted to take that handle on Instagram. And that's how I found her. Um, And she recently was talking about giving up her license. And I know that that's something that we talk about a lot on the podcast. So I thought it would be really interesting. So um, Anna's a former midwife turned midwitch, a woman worker facilitator, mentor, and educator who works with women and families worldwide. She Today, she educates and coaches thousands of women on a daily basis through her online courses, coaching, mentorship program, the Natural Birth Podcast, and social media platforms. In her Sacred Birth Worker Mentorship Program, Anna teaches aspiring doulas and birth workers about natural physiologic birth and how to hold safe and sacred space. Space. After years of working at home in birth centers and hospitals and being part of a broken maternity system that causes one in three women to experience birth trauma, she chose to step out on her own as an educator and change maker and is actively working to speak the truth about the power of natural physiologic birth and expose the over-medicalized maternity system for the harm it's causing women, babies, families, and the world at large. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Such an will honor you, to be here. <laughs> yay! Um, will you say your last name for us? My last name is Lundqvist, which is really hard to say. That's why I've just gone by the spiritual midwife because like no one can say my name. So I'm like, I'm not gonna even <laughs> try to like ever, you know, teach people yeah. how to pronounce it. I don't if know you, if you heard if you yeah. heard we were looking around, looking around at all your things and we're like, well, maybe she's just like Prince. She's just like, she's just Anna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. More like Madonna. Like Madonna. <laughs> or right. Madonna. Exactly. Yeah. More like Madonna. I guess um, Anna is quite common though. It's a bit hard to be known as the Anna of the world. Oh, <laughs> so but maybe. Like the most common name in the world in all <laughs> cultures. Like, um, So Anna, and where are you living? Where are you, where are you based? So I'm Swedish and I'm now back in Sweden. Great. So I'm based in just south of Stockholm, Sweden. Okay, wonderful. And midwitch, that's a little uh, rebellious of a term to take on. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a big, big topic for sure. I mean, I've been (laughs) sitting with this name for like six months Mm -hmm. Um, before actually just, yes, you saw last week kind of announcing a name change and also that I did deregister, which I did in May already, but it's been a process of letting go of the title. And, you know, I know it's different in the US with all your states and all the different ways you can be a midwife and what's legal and it's it's a whole thing, isn't it? But it's quite clear cut in most other countries, right? So, So I'm an Australian trained midwife. And there I did direct entry midwifery. So I became a midwife without becoming a nurse first, right? And my intention becoming a midwife in Australia was to stay and work in Australia. But then life happens as it does. 
COVID happened. And, you know, I got different values. Like I changed, things changed for me. Um, one of the big reasons was obviously being locked in to that country for one and a half years. And my dad just um, was diagnosed with stage three prostate cancer month, like three months, four months before lockdowns happened. So mm. I, I did go home to see him and see him start the treatment. But um, then I was locked down, right? Like the rest of the world, as you probably were too. And by one and a half years, I started to question, when will this stop? And family became a big reason to return to Sweden amongst other things but yeah it's uh, it was a big decision and here you know coming back to why I'm now called a midwife here it's a very medicalized system so here you have to be a nurse first so you're so when you become a midwife in Sweden you first study to be a nurse for I think three three or four years and then you do you have to work as a nurse for I think one year or something like that don't quote me on this but I think this is how it is and then you go in and you do midwifery for one and a half years at uni so it's a totally different um so they don't accept me as a midwife here I cannot work as a registered midwife in Sweden mm -hmm. so that became a big reason to why also then I after a while also decided to let go of my registration in Australia because I I can't be registered here anyways and mm -hmm. I am a little rebel. And as you know, um, oh, so, you know, when I announced this a week ago, I had this beautiful friend of mine, a beautiful midwife. And she is, she's a part of the midwifery training, uh, like uni training. And, and, and she's a home birth midwife of maybe 30 years. And she wrote to me and she said, you know what, Anna, I'm thinking about deregistering too now. It is just such a witch hunt. We're getting so just um, prosecuted by the institutions and like the obstetricians are, you know, reporting us here and there and everywhere. And I mean, this is a true midwife. She, she is above board. She's amazing. But that's the thing. That's the price you pay when you're like an independent home birth midwife, especially in Australia. It's such a witch hunt. So a part of my Switching from midwife to midwitch and deregistering was multi-layered. One, I'm in Sweden, can't work here anyways as a registered midwife. Had I been able to, it might have not been that I would have deregistered this, you know, quickly coming here. I would probably have worked as a home birth midwife here, potentially, because I have beautiful home birth midwife friends that I'm, you know, working with here, um, more in the capacity of a midwife doula, you mm -hmm. know. Um, um and I'm working very hard for midwifery and to open up birth centers here, to have a home birthing conference that I'd love to invite to, to but that's a different <laughs> conversation. Um, and just, you know, I'm a passionate midwife. I just can't call myself a midwife anymore because both in Australia and here, if I'm not registered, it's a criminal offense for me to call myself a midwife. Even just so, to keep the name. That's, yeah, that's it. So that's why I would never have not called myself a spiritual midwife had I, I just don't want to give anyone a reason mm -hmm. to report me or attack me. And yeah. removing myself, you know, not having that title anymore, then I feel much more free to be the rebel that I actually 
truly am, but I kind of have kept a little bit quiet and like kind. Yeah. Now I feel like I can truly actually speak because no one can take anything away from me. And I don't have a body like APRA, which is the one that governs us in Australia. No one can report me there and go like, hey, this woman is, you know, this midwife is Laura. I don't know if you know about this podcast called The Great Birth Rebellion. You'd love them if you don't know about them. You I know do. about them. Yeah, mm-hmm. brilliant. Um, they got reported to APRA. And they're like, they're speaking only evidence-based stuff, right? But there's so many, there's so much, the patriarchy is held very tightly in like in, in the institution of, of maternity care. And there's so many, both midwives and obstetricians that don't like that you speak the truth right? about right. that system, right? right. And about... Well, truth, truth is birth. not truth is truth is not a totalitarian value. So <clears throat> they don't care that you're speaking truth. They only care that you're speaking something that's against what they want you to understand or know. Yeah. The, que- the question the question is: We're seeing tyranny spread throughout the world. We've just talked about they're going to regulate podcasts in Canada now. So um, why? I mean, why has this infiltrated every aspect of commerce, life, education, medicine, politics? What? Because you know, it's. I don't think any of us on this screen have the nature to control someone else's life. It's not our thing. No. Yet it is the thing that is happening all over the world. What? What is there, I mean, in your mind, because you've lived in different parts of the world, what is the motivation for what they're doing in Australia for that? We can start with Australia first. We can go around mm. the world. Yes, let's that. go around the world. <laughs> what, what do you think the motivation is for, for them to, because, again, I'm elaborating here maybe too much. I want to hear you speak. But their model that they want you to, that they want to instill in everybody sucks. Oh. And we all know it. Well, we don't yet, all know, it, but we know it. Oh, they know <laughs> it. They have to know it. Mm-hmm. They just they they they're ignoring it. But the question is, why does it not matter? Why, in the face of all the data of rising section rates, one in you said one in three women suffer birth trauma. I, listen, I probably think it's higher than that. We think yeah. at least women are going through induction. At least one in three to to. Uh, to one in, you know, to seven out of 10 women in some countries are having cesarean birth. We have babies in the NICU. We have chronic illnesses in children. They have to know this blister. So they're doing it anyway. So Anna comes from a different perspective. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about that. Why? Wow. I think it's really multi-layered. I mean, I think essentially it starts with understanding, which I know you, you, do like her story right understanding the origins of how you know it started already in the middle ages where uh, the church tried to control midwives and you know women for thousands of years you know in in the patriarchal structures you have taken been taken away their rights midwife was the last profession that was held by women right that was women's business and then eventually that was also taken over by the man midwife that came in and then the barber surgeon that 
could do the you know four steps and then all of a sudden women with money wanted to have that barber surgeon or man midwife in the next room in case something happens it was a status thing and then that became more and more and then all of a sudden you know it moved into the hospitals where the um, the poor women who might not have shelter um, or care could come and birth which meant lying on their backs and you know that was how men started to get access to birth right and then all of a sudden that moved more and more into that more and more women would birth in hospitals and so on and so forth I think the, the answer is multi-layered to why it's like it is today but essentially it's holding strong that view of woman of birth still like the body as you know parts that aren't holistically connected you're not you know marrying body and spirit you know psyche heart all of these things right it's like biomedical model of viewing birth and still we're using all these old stuff right that it's not evidence-based like you say there's so much evidence like here in sweden i i have to tell you later they are doing so many things that are so unevidence-based like it's shocking to me I was shocked coming from Australia to Sweden because Sweden has such a good reputation but I can tell you stuff um but um so to answer your question why is this happening I think just to answer like so how I I you know when I became when I decided to become a midwife in Australia my story is that so I'm a, you know, from the get-go, I'm like a women's work facilitator. I've held women's circles, worked with women um, 10, 15 years when it comes to uh, women's work and um, coaching women. And I was in New Zealand doing that. And I was really inspired by this woman who was very involved in the home birthing community. She'd birthed all her babies at home. Um and I just got inspired by her and I heard about me referring New Zealand, which is very different from Australia, but I was naive. I did not realize that. So I decided to study to be a midwife in Australia. New Zealand midwives are much more autonomous. I don't know if they're like the most autonomous in the world. I'm not really sure because I don't know all the countries in the world. Much more. The what word are you saying? I'm sorry. New Zealand. New Zealand. No, what was the word? They're much more autonomous. autonomous. Oh, autonomous. Thank you. So, <laughs> sorry. Um, so midwives in New Zealand, as I understand it, is that they study for three years, just like I did at uni, but they become fully autonomous and they can, they have prescribers rights, which you don't get in Australia as a midwife when you graduate. Um, and they can go instantly out and practice midwifery in the home, be a home birth midwife. In Australia, they need you, want you into the hospital system first, and you need to do three years there and you need to do a prescriber's course they have all these hoops and they put you in the hospital so that you get frightened because that's what happens when you go into the hospital you become frightened of birth because in the hospital it's a bloody shit show most of the time right because literally <laughs> yes literally so um <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> yeah but it, you know and I remember this very clearly like when I the first week when I went into midwifery in Australia, I cried when I realized what I got myself into, mm. but I persevered and I did my, did you know, walk that path, and I'm happy I did because now I'm I'm a passionate person when it comes to to women's rights and birth and and you know everything in between. So yeah, just so to, you've to given up your. I don't know if I've answered your question actually. <laughs> like I rented on there. <laughs> there, there, you know, there probably is no direct answer. So I, I your your thoughts are what what. I and Bliss and my listeners want to hear. So yeah. that's, there is no answer because I got more to it, but Bliss, go ahead. Yeah. So you gave up your license. You called it deregistered, right? Is that what you called it? Mm. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're not practicing where you are now. You, you aren't able to practice. And are there no underground midwives? Are there no traditional midwives in your area? Are there no people who are not licensed, but still practice? Um, you know, so in Sweden, it's different. You become a midwife here and you hold that registration for life. You don't have to do continuous education. You don't have to practice a certain amount of hours. You don't have to, you just become a midwife. So that's the difference from in Australia. Again, so a reason also I decided not for it. So in Australia, you cannot have a registration. You can have a non-practicing registration if you're not upholding the, the amount of hours each year that you have to do. Don't ask me how many because I can't remember on top of my head. Um, and since I have been in Sweden for two years, I've fallen below that because I haven't worked as a registered midwife in, mm -hmm. you know, two years than when I was here in Sweden. Um, so I could hold a non-registered um registration uh there when i just felt like oh why why should i anyway that's a different story well it's the story why i'm here but anyway um what i want to say is that if you're a midwife in sweden you're always a midwife mm -hmm. you don't have to do anything for it right so yes there are plenty of midwives and there is uh, there so there are very few home birthing midwives very few and you know in sweden it's a technocratic domination like medical domination over midwifery so right all but what i'm asking tertiary hospitals so very few birth at home yeah but what i'm asking is are there any underground midwives who are not because for me you are if you are a midwife you're always a midwife mm -hmm. and you don't need a stamp from the government to tell yeah. you that you are a midwife period yeah. so yeah. in my mind i get it you mm -hmm. are you are changing roles so that you don't have as much attention and you feel like that's enabling you to have more of your voice and more freedom, which I get to totally a hundred percent. So I'm wondering if there, if you know of anybody in Sweden who is practicing in a traditional way without being registered by the government or being a nurse first, does that not happen in Sweden? No. I mean, there's doulas that attend kind of then semi free births. I mean, it's not a free birth if anyone attends it, but um, they're doulas. They're not trained midwives. Right. Right. Um, and all the midwives that attend home births, they have their registration. Yeah. So does it make yeah. you sad that you're not going to be mm. attending births? Oh, I'll be attending births. That's what I'm asking. Yes. <laughs> As but, a doula? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She doesn't, she doesn't want to say anymore. I think I get it. I totally get it. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So you know, the other thing, the other thing I would love for you to talk about, because I think that witch has a, a very, has a very interesting history around it, but it can also be a word that really kind of it creates fear in people. And so yeah. I would love for you to, cause I know that we have a big, a large Christian base that listens to mm. us. And so mm. I would love for you to just talk a little bit about um, where that term witch comes from for you and why you would utilize that term. Absolutely. I was really sitting with that. Um, what, 
what to call myself because I was and am so like identified with midwife like the origins of the word midwife being with woman I feel like that is who I am like I could almost say like I could be called that like take my name Anna and just call me midwife that's how deep like I feel I'm a midwife you are being with woman is like my soul's calling whether it is in the birth like pregnancy birth and beyond or is it you know sitting with women in any you know rite of passage uh, menarche menopause anywhere in between life events like I've held space for women like holding space is who I am and midwife to, that's the same it's just that also it applies then to because essentially actually midwife was a, a wise woman of the village right she attended births and deaths and she was there for the community just as the witch was and and so for and if we go back again to her story then the the ones who were burned first the ones who were prosecuted were the midwives right mm -hmm. the and and which to me um it's not the for me it's not the kind of new age idea of kind of occult here and there and that's a no for me witch it's like the healer it's the wise woman that is what witch means to me and so when I then married kind of midwife and witch it became mid witch um so to me it brings to me the mid to the witch brings the light it brings I don't know to me it's just a different and I mean it is a little bit rebellious and that's <laughs> very. <laughs> so that's very. what I wrote down. I wrote down defiant. Yeah. And I, I think rebellious and defiant is, yeah. is where we have to go. Because if we don't lead by becoming rebellious and defiant, we're all going to end up being sheep led to the slaughter. Yes. Right. I, I think sometimes about the, the, the disconnect between what they say and what they do. When I'm talking about they, I mean that nebulous they out there. Because... Mm -hmm. um, we can tell how they really feel by how they treat women. Yes. Not what they say. Because I'm just, when you were talking before I wrote down these things, you know, you said women's rights. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Me Too movement from a few years ago. And then a few years before that, we had a man, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And then we had, um, uh, you know, we have this strong push in our country for abortion mm -hmm. rights at any time whatsoever. So, women power women can do all this and then and then we maybe have conflicting things with how we actually do um because what we what we do to women who are pregnant and what we and the choices we limit them from we want them to have all the choices in the world except you know when it comes to this one particular thing and you know there's lots of theories on this i just think that that organized medicine and, and and governments are are just so scared of women having their own power um yes. that they 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 talk like they want to because it's a talking point it's how you get elected it's how you get you know get appointed it's how you get your good uh ESG score or whatever it is from uh from BlackRock or whatever and but what you actually do is completely different and this is a perfect example of it you are a skilled talented midwife who's devoted her life and her calling to do this and because of some administrative cubicle worker um you're not allowed to do it yeah yeah it's a criminal offense if i do sorry Say that but, again. you know 
It's a criminal offense if I do. Yeah, I'm a criminal then for helping women. And and that doesn't feel that far from what we were just talking about with the burning of the witches and the midwives in back in the day. And there's a really great book. Oh, that's stuff, Liz, has it? Yeah, no. I mean, it's just um, under a different under a different umbrella, but it really is very similar. There's a great book called um, Witches, Midwives, and Nurses, I think is the order that it's in. Um, We'll put it in the show notes. If you don't know the history that we're speaking about, um, it's really important to go read it because it's really important to understand how how midwives were the healers. Women had this role in communities Mm -hmm. and were marginalized and killed um, for using herbs and for helping people heal. Um, we were thought of to be doing magic um, when really we were just um, being one with nature and like you said, holding space. So um, what does that mean to you when you say that term? Because I know that you're you're doing this great project where you're training people um, and a lot of it has to do with sacred space holding and being an advocate and and standing up for our clients um, as doulas and, and those kinds of things. But what does it mean when you say holding space? Bliss, what is Element? L-M-N-T. It's a amazing sponsor. First of all, we love them so much, but it's a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the BS like us. That's right. <laughs> I taught you well. <laughs> it is. It, it's got a lot of uh, good salts in it and uh, no sugar. I even uh, took a little notes here and they have um, a thousand milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium, which helps maintain fluid balance, regulates your blood pressure, and supports muscle function, mood, and bone health. Which is great for pregnant mamas, breastfeeding moms, and absolutely for birth workers. So make sure that you have some in your in your birth bag if you need it or if your clients do in labor. For sure. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause like headache, cramps, fatigue, and weakness, especially in the birthing world. You know, a long time when we, before what I used to do it, but you still do. <laughs> you have a lot of time. <laughs> after being up all night and snacking on like not such good food sometimes and I carry it with me whenever I travel and I add it to my water like in the hotel room and stuff and I spent a lot of time recently in hotel rooms it's a great sponsor and they they've been doing really well and I'm really proud to be um, supporting them they have multiple flavors your favorite, uh, favorite is raspberry right raspberry is mine and yours is mango yeah. chili but I, I do have I do have some sad news oh so long, old friend, to Lemon Habadiero. Oh, man. They discontinued it? So they could concentrate on citrus salt, raspberry salt, orange salt, raw unflavored, mango chili, chocolate salt, and watermelon salt. Maybe they're going to come out with some new stuff, too. But I trust <laughs> Elements. I trust that the, uh, they've done a deep dive into the research. They put their whole soul into it. We would like you to go to Drink Element. That's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts, all one word. And when you do that, you'll get a free sample pack with your every order. Go do it. Go do it. Holding space for me means that you have prepared yourself as the receptive vessel. So you are aware of your monkey 
in mind, you're trained, you're aware, you come as a person with, you know, your history, your biases, your values, your previous experiences, maybe as a birth worker of births, um, if you've had your own births, your own red thread, your lineage, your maternal lineage, um, the culture that you're in, all of that, um, you bring in, we talk about holding sacred space for the for the birth and the birth space, um, you can either be a positive influence in that birth space or you can be a negative one. So as a woman birthing, um, women are all, are very intuitive just by nature. But when a woman is birthing, she's so hypersensitive. She feels everything in that room. She can feel into everyone in that room. Women are also conditioned in being the good girl pleaser when it cares for others so if she feels into the room which she does you know she's in the birthing you know bubble but she's also very receptive and feeling into everyone in that room if she feels like you come in and you're stressed or she she senses that you're tense or that you're fearing something something's wrong she's going to pick that up or she feels like you're uncomfortable or she wants to care for you she's going to tap into that because it's just so ingrained in us so what i do in my mentorship is that i for the two first months of my mentorship, we go through her story. We go through epigenetics and, and transgenerational trauma. We have to go through your red thread, how your grandmother and mother birthed, and you if you had a birth. We go through your birthing imprint. We go through how was your first bleed, your menarch as a woman. How did that inform you about the culture that you live in and what it is to be a woman in this world? So this is really important because how do you view women? How, do you, how are you going to view your client through which lens? You know, it starts with our first rite of passage, our menarch. You know, we go through nature, you know, nature as healer, as teacher, as a cyclic, you know, outside cyclic um, being, which you are as a woman and, and embracing your own cyclic nature, being with that, like actual working with that. So many women today are medicalized out of being a woman, right? from a very early age might get put on the pill, never really experience being psychic until she decides to have a baby. Might or might not get that cycle back, might struggle. All these things also with that. You know, kettlefish. But anyway, we go through also sexuality. Birth is sexual. How are you going to be with a woman who sounds like she's having sex or having an orgasm? How can you be with someone's big emotion? If you can't be with your own big emotion, how can you be with someone else? So we do so much unraveling, unpacking. We talk so much about holding sacred and safe spaces by regulating your nervous system, working on yourself on all levels of you so that you can come more as a clean slate into that birthing room, you know, as a midwife, as a doctor with all your skills, because not everyone in my program is like becoming a you know want to become a doula I have nurses I have people who have left the healthcare industry who now want to go into birth work in this rebellious way I have women who work you know in offices I have also doulas who've gone to doula training and realized it's not enough to be that that sacred space holder for birth so you know, we do all of that for two months before we even start talking about pregnancy birth and beyond right so it's a six right. month container and that's what I mean. Like, it's a big discussion. Like, how do you hold sacred space? Well, you start with you. You start with cultivating you as the sacred space holder. Then you can yeah. have sacred space in any setting. But that portal, as you know, that witness birth, like, it's huge to hold. And so when I step into a birth, 
I listen through my heart and my and my being, and I know you probably know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You sense, you feel, you intuit. That is your true gift in that room, and that will help also hold the physiology safe. Like if you can regulate yourself and tune into her needs, maybe you only need to say a word here and there, a gaze, a touch. You know, you don't need to do much. Right. If she feels fully safe in your presence, right? Because that safety transfers, right? And we know that safety is paramount for physiology to unfold. Yeah, that's beautiful. There are two things. First, I wanted to ask you. That's a short answer. I wanted to ask Stu because I know... I know you're not attending many births anymore, Stu, but when you, when you heard Anna describing sacred space holder, how do you feel? What do you think about yourself in the room? How does that feel in, in who you are when you step into a birth room? For me, I know that I don't have certain skills. Uh, You know, I, I'm totally male. And, totally. I that. and even though I've been drenched in femininity for the last 40 years in my life, it's kind of, I'm surrounded. Um, that's not one of my skills. It, I mean, I'm learning, but there are people at the birth, the family member, the husband, the doula, the, a midwife that are better equipped to do that than me. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I have other people to step into that role. But because it's interesting you asked that question because I was just writing a note here and it, and the way Anna described holding space and all the beautiful things that she just said, I don't think there's any obstetrician that's ever thought like that. They've never taken a moment to I step know. out of the mechanical uh, world that they live in and take a moment to think about the beauty of what you just said, Anna. I have but only because I, evol- I evolved and was willing to let myself evolve. But, but doctors, unfortunately, either from their own ignorance or their own cowardice, they, they sit in a system where they themselves are stuck and they won't, they won't withdraw or deregister like you did. They'll just instead keep their head down, use cognitive dissonance, and go about their business every day, despite the outcomes and results that we discussed a little bit earlier. And they will never take a moment to think, I can't be part of this system anymore. And when I say that, I al- there's always exceptions. But, you know, everybody knows that when I say yeah. that. I'm for, for most OBs, and I see you guys both nodding, so that makes me happy. Um, well, because... And midwives, too, though, like, yeah. No, go ahead, Anna. What about midwives? No, I was gonna I was gonna say that it's the same with midwives in the system, though. You know, you kind of have to do that because you um you can still be a midwife or an obstetrician in the system and incorporate more of this knowledge. And I, you know, I hope to attract more of these people into my mentorship. I did actually hold a sacred, you know, the art of sacred space holding in birth in Australia when I was there, and the head of obstetrics of that tertiary hospital came. So there's mm-hmm. hope. But mm-hmm. they're few. Um, but she is infiltrating that hospital. Now, that hospital is also in an area that is much more open-minded. There's 25% home births, you know, much higher rate of physiological birth in that area than anywhere else in Australia. So clientele too. 
but this is for midwives too, what you're talking about, Stuart, right? that like if you're if you're in that system, you kind of have to dissociate almost to be able to bear being a part of that trauma. I couldn't last in it. It just hurt me so much to be a witness of trauma. You know, I feel like I had PTSD from working in the hospital system. Yeah, I can, I can believe that for sure. So Stu, I have a question for you. I'm shocked. What is it? <laughs> what is one thing in a woman's pregnancy that she can control? Because so much is out of our control. Uh, her nutrition? That's right. And we are so excited to be partnered with such an amazing company as needed because they have focused on pregnancy, postpartum as being some of the most nutritionally demanding time in a woman's life. And it can be influenced by her nutrition status. So they support women during this time with all kinds of amazing products. Their line just has so many options. So make sure and check them all out. But Stu's going to tell us a little bit about um, their immune support because it's turning fall and we need that a little bit more right now during this time. Yeah, Needed has an immune support, uh, which is a popular choice right now with all the back to school germs and heading into the winter when we all tend to get sick more frequently. And the people ask sometimes, well, if I'm pregnant, can I take this product? And of course, yes, it was formulated uh, for pregnant mamas in mind. So it's uh, recommended and safe in pregnancy. Support is intended to complement, not replace other products that they offer as well. So it's just one of those things that you add to your, you know, your prenatal vitamins, your probiotic, your maybe your stress support, your sleep and relaxation support. But Bliss, I wanted to talk about something else today. Don't forget the men. That's right. We love the men. Right. So they have a sperm support, uh, men's pre and probiotic. And they say men play a critical role in conception and healthy pregnancies. I, I, I imagine that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> and the preconception health can significantly impact both fertility outcomes and also the health of their future children. Needed's Men Fertility Plan is a must for couples trying to conceive to support the multiple components of fertility, including sperm health, gut health, optimal nutrient levels, and testosterone levels, which, by the way, are falling worldwide. So you can do this and it works. Why not? I trust Needed's products with my patients because they use scientifically studied ingredients and perform rigorous third-party testing. And unlike other products on the market, Needed designs their products from the ground up using the latest research and insights from men's fertility practitioners. So, you know, we are a woman's podcast mostly, but I don't want those dads to feel excluded. So head over to thisisneeded.com and use code birthinginstincts for 20% off your one-time order. That's right. Thanks, Needed. Let me read a letter, if I may, real okay. quickly, and because it, it's right on this topic. Sure. Or did you want to say something first, please? I did, but that's okay. Do you want to read a letter? No, if it's related, go ahead. And then um, I'll read the letter. The letter's not going okay. anywhere. <laughs> um, so this is, for me, the main difference and why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. I don't know, Anna, if you've heard about my traditional midwifery project that I just launched. It's called The Bridge Midwives. I'm so curious. I want to dive in more to understand it. I've just seen glimpses of it. I'd yeah. love to pick your brain on it. 
but that can well, be another the thing time. Is, <laughs> the thing is, is that I believe what I am seeing and being in this world for 30 years now, what I am seeing is that what we've done to midwifery, what we've talked about, what you just talked about, about holding sacred space and having this holistic approach to all of it and honoring the woman as being the one who is dictating what's happening in the energy in the room. This is what the specialty for me of what the history, history of midwifery is. And what's happening is we're taking midwives and we're making mini obstetricians. We're taking mini hospitals and we're putting it into the home and we're taking away what to me, the heart of midwifery is. And it's sad when I feel like we have this title midwife, but it's being, it's being kind of projected as something so different from what you and how you and I practice. It's almost like I wish we had a different word to describe the different types of midwives that are out there because it's not the same. It, and, and the specialty that Stuart and obstetricians have you know, Stuart's his own unicorn, of course, but, you know, I want to honor that. I want to honor that they know how to do surgery. I want to honor that they have specialty and things that we don't have any interest really, even a lot of us in, in doing, but the things that we do know how to hold sacred space, how to counsel people in this holistic approach, how to work with nature and herbs and all of that and counsel people I want that to be honored as a specialty in its own right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I agree with you. I think I see, and I think it's a problem in a way I see midwives as the wise women. I see them as, as these elder women who are there for multiple reasons. And that has been really shifting in the last 30 years. And that's what I want to bring back is the traditional midwives, the oral the oral conversations that are passed down mm -hmm. from one to another, just like what you're doing, how to, you know, how to bring back the sanctity of what it is that we're doing. And so mm, I wanted to say that language. before you read. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And, you know, if I can just say like you just mentioning that it almost brings me to tears and that it's been such an emotional rollercoaster the last couple of weeks since talking about this, because it makes me, it cuts my heart. It, it makes me bleed. It makes me so sad that, you know, they own the word midwife, that I somehow am a criminal if I call myself that when I am a midwife, yeah. like embody that so much. And that what it is now to be a midwife in so many countries, most countries means obstetric nurse. It means nurse to obstetricians. No med like no midwife in the hospital system ever sees a physiological birth. It doesn't happen midwives doctors they don't see that they are trained for, to you know help with epidurals and do all the observations and and take notes they have no skills of what true midwifery is and but they own that word and that and the fire that it's in me like the, the rage i have for that and the deep yeah. sadness that they stole that word i can't even tell you i hear you i do and i have a feeling that you're just beginning <laughs> that fire in your belly is is going to burn through and create something, continue to create some really beautiful waves. So, mm. okay, Stu, what's your letter? 
Okay. Well, first of all, I want to say something about visual or face-to-face conversation because it's so valuable because I was about to say something and I could just see you and I knew you wanted to say something. If you're talking on the phone or you're text messaging, you don't, you don't have that kind of communication. We need to get back to knocking on doors and, and visiting people face-to-face and stop this stupid texting, direct messaging. I know it ties one end of the world to the other, and that's how we can be talking to Anna in Sweden right now. But we're talking to her, at least we can see each other and how important seeing faces and facial recognition and ex- and expressions is is a is probably a bigger part of communication than the verbal aspect of what we're saying so that's how i picked up on that secondly you called me stuart which i found i, did. I don't think you've ever called me stuart before i have <laughs> but i get it stewie <laughs> blister okay <laughs> So I want to read this letter because it ties into what we're talking about. Okay. Um, um, it's written to uh, you and I, Bliss. It says, uh, uh, Dr. Stu and Bliss. By the way, I've been holding on to this since June, so it's four months old. Um, <laughs> Shaw, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I've been meaning to write this for a while and decided to finally do it. And I am decided to finally read it. So there we go, Emily. I am a registered nurse and probably had the same experience in nursing school as most women out there. Traumatizing. Mm. My labor clinicals were terrible. I almost fainted watching an epidural be be started. I mean, that happens sometimes. I was terrified of birth after learning all the worst case scenarios. Of course, I thought, quote, no way will I ever have a baby. This is the most dangerous thing in the world, unquote. And I thought this for years. My cousin who had a terrible hospital birth experience, started listening to the podcast and subsequently had a beautiful home birth. As we talk about her experience, I started thinking, quote, maybe birth isn't so bad, unquote. She introduced me to the podcast when I got pregnant. I am so grateful. I started listening to during the pandemic while I was pregnant. Of course, as an RN, that time is when I really lost all trust and confidence in our healthcare system and the medical model. No surprise, I was put through the ringer of the system. I was never physically touched by my OB, only seeing her for five minutes. I was paying for her to Doppler the heartbeat and test my urine, which I remarked I could have done by myself at (laughs) home. (laughs) I spent over $1,500 in unnecessary blood work. I was told only my husband and mom could be in my room, which is actually more than most during that period of time. I put up with this nonsense for 20 weeks. I finally fired my OB. I hired an amazing midwife and was shocked when she could actually touch my stomach and feel the position of my baby. I had a healthy pregnancy and beautiful, fearless birth at home, surrounded by my super supportive husband and family. My dad was even there grilling for everyone while I was in labor. I love it. (laughs) As I listened to the podcast, I started truly educating myself, which is the most important thing we can do for ourselves. I stopped letting the fear of things I've been taught ruin my experience of starting a family. As you've mentioned before, our society has to stop treating birth like it's the most terrible thing in the world. Birth is beautiful, wonderful, and an experience on my terms made me feel like Wonder Woman. Thank you for really empowering me to believe in myself and the body that God created for this special calling. That's what I'm on. That is so powerful. And... 
it makes me so happy to hear that, you know, the ripple effects that the work that we do actually really make a difference. Um, and I also receive these beautiful messages, women who listen to my The Natural Birth podcast, where I only share natural physiological births. And I just, I remember this one that I just got. Can I read that for you? Because it's about shifting from listening to actual real like physiological birth stories from being you know becoming an obstetric nurse to actually wanting to be a traditional midwife can I read that yeah <laughs> so I got this it was literally just the other day I'm not trying to sound dramatic but this podcast dramatically changed my life I listened to my first episode on my first day as a labor and delivery nursing student the stark difference I experienced through Anna's podcast and what I observed in a typical American hospital was staggering. I have since listened to over 100 episodes, decided not to become an OB nurse, and I'm now looking into direct entry midwifery studies. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> and that made my day. I, I know, gotten, we get those I, all the time. Yeah, I've gotten yeah. so many from, from obstetric nurses or like from those who going to the hospital system going whoa you made me change my mind it's so you know, great realizing. right yes it's yeah so the important. ripple effect is so so rewarding so rewarding yeah. so I wanted to pick your guys's brain about something that happened on my Instagram yesterday okay so I posted something and I'm going to read it um it was I it was a repost I didn't actually create this post um but it's one of the most popular posts I've ever put up <clears throat> and there were multiple slides and it says we don't have a 33 yeah. percent cesarean section rate because women's bodies are broken and incapable we have a 33 percent cesarean section rate because the medical system is broken and misogynistic we have a 33 percent cesarean rate because 99 percent of births are happening in the hospital setting and 88 percent are attended by surgeons we have a 33 percent cesarean section rate because women are taught to mistrust their bodies and from practically birth, they are told they aren't enough. We have a 33% cesarean section rate because women are no longer believed that they are magical beings having a spiritual experience. We have a 33% cesarean rate because women are not being informed and educated by the providers in labor. Instead, they are lied to and coerced. We have a 33% cesarean section rate because OBs, midwives, birth attendants lack patience and ability to sit on their hands. We have a 33% cesarean section rate because women are told from before conception that labor is scary, painful, and a means to an end. We have a 33% cesarean section rate because women need to do the deep work and healing with their bodies and minds. With that healing comes confidence, love, personal sovereignty, and radical responsibility. That change will lead them to connected birth practitioners who have just as much faith in their bodies as they now do, and will lead these women to choose aligned birth locations that facilitate and support autonomous birth. How do we lower the section rate, heal women, and say hell with the system? So it was a very popular um, post, and it was a great conversation. But what I wanted to bring up with you guys and wanted to hear what you had to say is there were multiple women on there who had had C-sections who felt like that languaging was shaming. And there's nothing in me that wants to make a woman feel shame for her cesarean. And I engaged in a lot of conversations with women who had made that comment to say, 
I really believe that cesareans that are used judiciously are life-saving and we're so thankful for them. What we're trying to do is educate people because 20 plus percent of that 33% and many people chimed in from all over the world and said it's higher in their countries. And, you know, 33% was actually on the low side from what a lot of people were saying. Um, but, but what do you, what do you think about us being able to like talk openly and honestly about what we're seeing from this. I mean, we work with thousands of families. We see a trend. We're not just looking at one individual experience. How do we talk openly and honestly about some of these things without making women feel like we're shaming them for their choices or their experiences? Well, I think, again, it's multi-layered, right? The first thing that comes to mind (laughs) is that the women who take this as a personal attack is in their wounding and that is yeah. what the system is doing to them but it's also a choice to stay there and I am so sick of because this is a thing midwives have been silencing themselves for years and years and years trying to change things in the system trying to protect women not telling them how bad it is and I have had enough as you can see and I'm gonna stop doing that fully and I really encourage us all to stop treating women as they are not sovereign to make informed decisions if they get the whole picture and the women that do come with this right they need to look at themselves and go like why are you holding on to the victim mentality here maybe you were one of the few that needs that emergency cesarean to save her or her baby's life then that was life-saving and we like to have cesareans for that reason they should be there i worked in a low risk unit in a hospital that had a 40% cesarean rate. Low risk unit, low risk women, the high risk women were sent to another hospital. Can you can you realize that? How can that be seen as normal? No, it's not normal. And we need to warn women and tell them the truth. But there will be those who take offense. And we cannot, we, we cannot keep silent because of that. Instead, we need to go to them and say, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Maybe it was necessary. Or maybe the system failed you. And let's work on that. Let's do a birth trauma debrief with you for you to realize it wasn't your fault. Because so many women, they internalize the patriarchy. They have such a strong self-criticizing voice that thinks, so many women think that it's their fault they had a cesarean. And of course, they'll feel then blamed for it. It wasn't. 99% of the time, well, 100% of the time, it's not their fault. you know. But maybe there was this you know, little percentage that actually really needed it. But so many don't. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, you know, who knows, right? We can't pull apart their story in that conversation. But so many had the same thing. Like, if I hadn't had that cesarean, I would have died. My baby would have died. And, And we know, we know from the stories that we hear that that's not always true. That, that many of those women are also being lied to and led down a path where they were put in harm's way. And then the doctor said, I saved your life. You know, we, we know this by being present in the room with these women. We've seen it. We've, you know, we've had direct experience with it. So thank you for saying that. I think, I think, you know, what you're pointing to is like, we, we can't continue to be silent and we have to try and help those individuals who 
are negatively affected by the truth to help Mm -hmm. them feel seen and heard for their own personal experience. Stu, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I do. For the first time ever on the podcast, I'm going to say, everybody listening, rewind the podcast about four minutes back and just listen to what Anna and Bliss just said over again, because I couldn't say it any better. (laughs) Rewind the podcast right now, go back about four, four and a half minutes when Anna starts to tell what she just said, and then Bliss adds it in, because that says it better than anything else I could say. So important, Stu, isn't it? Like, I was recently on another podcast with a kind of, you know, a midwife who wants to not disturb, like, not cause that feeling of, like, don't want to offend people. And several times when I spoke of things, she would go, like, oh, but, and try to, like, you know. Downplay it. Yeah. And I went, like, hey. And I called her on it because I am sick of this. It's, like, I'm not blaming the women. I will never, ever blame the women. And I worked so much with birth trauma healing from women all over the world, mostly from America, actually, where when we look at the notes, right? And you guys know that we look at the notes, I can tell them what happened and why it happened like it did. That was never, her body never failed her. The biggest thing that people hear, right, is their failure to progress, right? Mm -hmm. That's the biggest reason for cesareans. So they didn't fail but that's the internalized voice and it's something called the stockholm syndrome i'm not proud of it being the stockholm syndrome i don't know if you actually know the origins but it was like a bank robbery um, and kidnapping and the, the people that were kidnapped you know uh, start to like the kidnappers this is what happens in maternity this is what happens in maternity it also happens to midwives I felt like I was part of the Stockholm syndrome when I was a midwife because I'd have beautiful experience, but 70% of the time I would be freaking traumatized by what was going down and what I had to witness would be a part of in that hospital system. And that is what happens to women. They get told that, oh my God, you know, thank God we were here to save you and your baby. But actually it was the whole cascade of interventions that caused that to happen in the first place. And women need to hear that it's also part of their healing journey to actually recognize it never was their fault yeah yeah and I think sometimes you know I know from working with with women very closely most of the time we have very intimate relationships and there's a lot of love present but every once in a while you have that client that you tell them the truth about something and they are not happy with you and and I have to remember it's a journey It's a journey and sometimes someone can't hear something right away. And then later on in life, it circles back and they can, they have more space and room to be able to hear it down the road. And so speaking our truth um, is so important. And Stu, you pointed to that earlier about like, we have to have the courage to be able to speak the truth. And um, I, I honor you, Anna, for the courage that it's taking to step out the way that you are and, and remind people like it's time to to continue to speak our minds and speak the truth about what's happening. Cause they're there. That's how I feel. It's like, how are we ever going to change what's happening if we can't really say what's actually happening? Yes. And I mean, that's what you're doing, Stu and bliss too, like with what you're doing. Right. And what you just said, Stu, like, We need to stop being afraid to tell the truth. And we also need to go out of the system and create our own, which you're doing, Liz, and I'm really excited to hear all about it. Yeah. I remember a situation way back when, when I was in my very first office 
back in Century City, and I was still I was I was taking transports for midwives, but it was very early, and I was still you know the medicalized Doctor Fishbein, but I was already starting to see things a different way. And I had a woman that kept coming into my uh, office every time for a prenatal visit, always nervous, always scared. And we would talk because even then I wasn't rushed. I didn't have six minute office visits, even when I first started out because I wasn't busy. So I could spend more time with these people. But, but um, I asked her, so where are you getting your information? She says, well, I'm reading this and I'm reading that I'm reading this. And there were things like what to expect while you're expecting and uh, other books that are not high on my list. And um, I said to her, you know, maybe you should just relax a little bit and stop reading some of that stuff. She got so mad at me. She left my practice because I didn't reinforce her fears. Mm-hmm. I, didn't have the, I didn't have the skills to meander through the path to find a way to get or to do it without being quite so blunt. But my attention was good. She just didn't like the way I said it. Um, and she was offended by that. And she left the practice. And she probably found a doctor that was much more supportive of the fact that she her fears were founded when they weren't. And that's sometimes that happens. You need the, you know, there's not that compatibility there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So Bliss, we have a not new sponsor for Fit. <laughs> They've been with us for a while now, so we can't call them new anymore. But they do have some exciting new news as BirthFit has its newest member as our friend Lindsay ha- had her baby. So congratulations, Lindsay and family. Yay! Yeah, BirthFit is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and the postpartum. Tell us a little bit about their programs. You know what? They cover you for all aspects of feminine care and birth and postpartum. It's really amazing. So the BirthFit Basics is a prenatal program is 30 days, no equipment necessary for any trimester of pregnancy. So you could try that out before you jump in further. And then they have a prenatal training program, which is full strength conditioning that requires minimal equipment like dumbbells, bands and a box. I had a client the other day who was laying in bed like a good client um, taking my suggestion. She's like, you know, just laying in bed, nursing all day. I'm feeling a little sore. You know, any stretches? And I said, you should really try this lying in program that they have. It's great for postpartum. It's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focuses on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum through breathing exercises, visualization, and belly massages. I mean, come on, that sounds amazing. It is amazing. And then, yeah, and then they have um, kind of an intermediate birth fit basics, which requires no um, equipment. So that focuses on foundational breath work and movements to reestablish a solid foundation of core and pelvic floor stability before you go back to any other fitness classes. But they also have a more extensive postpartum program, which is 12 weeks focused on building a base level of general fitness through simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. Yeah, the birth community is where you want to be if you're trying to conceive or know you want to be in the next one to three years. This is a monthly membership program by Women for Women that focuses on general strength and conditioning with respect around one's menstrual cycle. So go to birthfit.com and use the code INSTINCTS1, that's the number one, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program 
or go to birthfit.com, use the code INSTINCTS2 to get a discount on the basics postpartum program. We love BirthFit. It's OB and midwife approved. Absolutely. And go check out Lindsay. I mean, she looks great. And she did her own fitness program throughout her whole pregnancy and had an amazing birth. So check it out. Um, So anything else before we wrap up, Anna, that you want to share that's on your mind that you want to make sure our listeners know about who you are and what you're up to? You know, I just want women to realize that they are capable of birthing their babies and that it's up to them to claim their sovereignty. It's always been theirs. You know, I think that's where the crux lies in our maternity world today. So many are so happy to relinquish their power over to the system that's going to save them. If women start to actually view birth as a rite of passage and something that has the potential to transform them into something greater than themselves and be excited to birth, you know, then the world would change. And women would claim their births. They they wouldn't want to go into institutions that control them. It's about claiming sovereignty. Yeah, the the system is not going to save them. And what I would, what I've learned over the years is that the change is going to need to come from the women themselves. And they're going to have to lead on the holding space for themselves and demanding certain things. Because the practitioners that are in the system whether by choice or just by force or just by being a lemming are not going to be the ones to do that. The system won't allow it. And if anybody out there still believes, I've said this many times on the podcast, still believes that we can fix the system, you're out of your mind. The, The system will not be fixed. It's only getting worse. Just listen to what Anna says. Absolutely. Just recently, a midwife from Idaho talked to me and the Idaho is changing some of the laws about midwives in Idaho without anybody on the decision-making panel being a midwife. And it's going to, some midwives think it might help, but we've had this argument in California, other places, but most of the midwives think if anytime the government or organization starts to step in and regulate, when has it ever gotten better? No, it doesn't. And here in Sweden, it's a prime example of that of you know i i don't want to use the word psychosis but there's a mass formation of just going along with the collective and not being bold enough to step outside and being individualized because you think you might be ostracized or whatever but you have to do the right thing mm. where we are now with all these rates it's 33 percent c-section rate or 40 percent in that hospital or 70 percent in armenia or brazil or south africa Really, seven out of ten women, you know, think that the that the gods in, in medicine have saved them, um, and all they've done is caused them problems. Uh, except on those rare cases when they've caused them problems, they've caused their baby problems, they've caused their baby's long term health to be problems, they've caused all their future baby problems, and yet and that people are brainwashed to believe that this is the the way, only way to have a baby. You know, I, I, I said earlier in the podcast before you came on, Anna, that I got to speak uh, on a podcast yesterday that will be coming out called the Spillover Podcast. And they had a whole crew bliss. It's not like you and me. <laughs> they had three guys there. And I got there early and we were talking 
And they, they, you know, what they don't do, it's birth podcast. It's not their thing. They do all kinds of pop culture stuff. So I was a you know, sort of a unique guest and we were talking beforehand and they were fascinated because they'd never heard any talk like we talk. Mm-hmm. You can't birth, you, 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 you don't have to birth in the hospital. No. I not know that yet. I know, right? <laughs> We've been on for years. How do you not know? <laughs> yeah, we need to reach more men with this also, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love seeing the men come around. I have this I have this client right now. They are um, you know, like the Rockabelly client, like they have the tattoos and the and the I don't maybe you don't know the style, but like the short bangs and the really dark hair and the like makeup and he um he uh like refurbishes old cars and stuff and they're just like this cool cool couple. He is like the typical masculine guy who really didn't want to have anything to do with the birth very much. He wants to support her and love her, but like, and then she wanted to do a home birth and he was like, have you lost your mind? And yesterday when they came like to watch his journey and his process and, and he was talking about how he was advocating for birth with some of his coworkers. And she was like, look at you, look how far you've come from like where you were in the beginning. Um, and those are the people, those are the, those are the men that go out and they speak and talk to everybody because they're so jazzed about what they experience and what they learned. So I love, mm. I love the journey of the woman, but also watching the men, it's, it's such a beautiful process. Yes, because we need both. We need the consumers. We need the women and the men, the families to, to be the strong voices. We can't do it. Yeah. You know, we need the consumers. And I can say 99% of all, all men that have ever attended a home, like that I've attended their home births, they become the strongest advocates for home birth. They yeah. go talk to their dudes drinking, you know, beer and go like, oh my God, home birth. Your women need to have home birth. You know, they're just like <laughs> amazed, especially if they've had a medicalized birth first. Then they're like, what? We can go to bed now? Like, what? Was it this yeah. calm? And, you know, and they go like, big guys like, you guys were just sitting there. You didn't do anything. She just birthed. It was like, yeah, that's what happens when you just sit on your hands. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're, your woman is a badass. <laughs> and it. now you've witnessed it, which is great. Well, where can people find you? Tell us all the ways that people can connect with you. So our listeners well, can find you. I have slowly been changing all my socials to The Spiritual Midwitch. Um, just one word you know youtube instagram facebook all of that jazz and i have a website that's called the natural birth where they can find all my offerings in the world my mentorship my coaching my courses all of the jazz that so lovely. great great and well, we'll put it that was, in the show notes we will it was thank you for coming on last minute it was so great to have you on today i feel like every word that came out of your mouth is something that I feel and could have said. And I, I love that resonance. And um, we were, we're wishing you so much luck on this new journey that you're in, endeavoring down. And um, thanks for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I just could talk to you guys forever. I we feel could. like we're just, <laughs> we're just like, um so i'll be reaching out in your dms to continue this conversation great thank you for having me
Yeah. Okay. You can drop off. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. That was fun. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I had no idea, and I'm really thrilled. She's she's brilliant. I, when she said the answer to your question about, you know, how how can we deal with this? And she just when women are traumatized by what you say, um, there was I was just listening to her, and it's like I would have said it. I would have said the same thing, except she says it better. I would have said this that I would have said, but she says it better. So it's like, yeah, just rewind. Listen to what she has to say. I love it. And her voice is so sweet, right? So soft and Yeah, sweet. I, I couldn't understand. You know, that's my my computer and my hearing. So I couldn't understand it. But I'm hoping our the sound will come out great and people will enjoy it. And everybody who's listening will pull over to the side of the road as they're driving home from a birth and and uh, have some element and maybe take some of their needed and call and then reach out to BirthFit and <laughs> Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too, Bliss. Again, you look lovely. Uh, uh, goodbye, everybody. Um, we'll see you next week. Thanks for uh, giving us an hour of your time. And until that time, Bliss says... Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram.